Welcome to the Solar Cavern Podcast. I hope today is going well and you're doing things that you actually wanted to do today. Service to others is great and could even be put above service to self, but you have to do things for yourself. If you spend all of your time doing things for other people or with their feelings in mind, you're going to lose track of your own needs and your own happiness. We've all been there. We've all had somebody that we deeply care about and end up putting all of our energy towards them, draining us from all the energy we could be using towards ourselves to become more aligned with ourselves and our intentions. You cannot lose track of who you are. You can't lose track of your own identity. I've met people who frame their identity around the people they meet or the people that they date. Personally, I think that you should hold on to your own unique identity even when you're in a romantic relationship with somebody because that person in the end is an individual and you are also an individual. And if you lose your identity or sense of self within another person, if that ends, then what next, you know? This is going to be the topic of today's episode. It is identity theory. And when doing research for this, I came across many different perspectives for identity theory. There is the mind and brain identity theory, but there is also the social identity theory. Personally, I am more interested in social identity theory because I like to think about how others will frame themselves around different groups of people or how social settings are organized. Um, I find all of that really interesting. But first, before we get into social identity theory, I want to talk about the mind-brain identity theory. This theory of the mind holds that states and processes of the mind are identical to states and processes of the brain. So what's the difference in the mind and the brain? So consider an experience of pain or seeing something or just having a mental image. The identity theory of the mind holds that these experiences are brain processes, not just correlated with the brain. I think the mind-brain identity theory is really trying to figure out and define the difference between the mind and the brain. But a good amount of philosophers and psychologists say that they are one and the same. A brain process is a non-physical property sometimes called qualia, and qualia, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, is the internal and subjective component of sense perceptions. In other words, qualia is a quality or property that is perceived or experienced. Some identity theorists give a behavioralistic analysis of mental states, beliefs, desires, that kind of thing. When talking about identity theory, most philosophers have an ontological approach, which means metaphysical or nature of being. Now, all of this comes from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Now, what I want to know is how identity arises through the development of the ego. What makes identity presentations shift in environmental changes? That's called code switching, and we'll talk about that later on in the episode. 
I also want to know how do first impressions with another person pave the way for a unique and skewed perception of one's identity? For example, if you're at this party and you're in such a good mood and you go up to somebody and you meet them, you're saying all the right things, so they automatically have this perception of you that is completely optimistic and you're super outgoing, but the next time you see them, it's not the same at all. You're not at a party, you're not in that same environment, so you act different. Your identity presentation has changed. So this kind of ties into the socio-environmental influences that form one's identity. So let's talk about code switching real quick. In linguistics, code switching or language alteration occurs when one alternates between two different languages. That is a linguistic interpretation, but there's also a way to view it from an identity perspective. Adjusting one's style of speech, appearance, behavior, and expressions that optimizes the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment. I had a super drastic experience in code switching this past week. I was at the bar that I had never been to. It was really uptown and I was not dressed for the occasion. This bar was definitely appealing to a certain demographic and I just was not a part of it. First of all, I wasn't really there to drink and normally what you do at bars is drink and socialize, but I was just there for the socialization aspect. There were probably around 10 people there at our table, um, and that's a lot for me. I personally do way better in smaller groups, like four or five, or um, I actually prefer interpersonal conversations where it's just me and one other person or me and two other people. Those are what I favor. Anyways, I go up to the bar. It was super uptown. The bartender says, and I'm not making fun of her, so I walk up and she goes, hey, what's your name? See, normally I would be like, oh, I'm Sav, nice to meet you, or something along those lines. But automatically I revert back into myself and I'm like, hi, my name is Savannah, what's your name? <laughs> that's not me, like that's not how I talk. Normally I introduce myself as Sav, but what made me code switch in that moment and say, hi, nice to meet you? Like, that's not me. I was in this uncomfortable position at the bar, and she approached me with a certain tone of voice and a certain look on her face that made me want to have that fair treatment. So I changed my speech, my behavior, and my expressions in order to receive that fair treatment. Why did I code switch? Because I was under so much pressure in that moment. What are considered appropriate behaviors and norms for specific environments? So philosophers say that your mind is your brain. Mental states such as happiness, pain, love are identical to brain states through electrochemical events or the movement of chemical messengers. This comes from a point of view where there are no problems between the mind-body interaction which escapes the problem of dualism, which I've talked about in previous episodes. But it feels like something to experience a mental state, 
Like, when I see a red car, that feels like something, you know? But it's hard to understand that that could just be a brain state, chemical movements. But it feels like more than that, doesn't it? How can identity theory account for the unity of experience? The striking thing about consciousness is how everything is unified. We see, feel, hear simultaneously, but this could all relate to a single state of consciousness, even though there are multiple things happening at once. This kind of unity cannot be found in the brain. There is a term called neuronal chauvinism, which holds that all mental states are multiply realizable by distinct physical states. Then it cannot be identical to any specific state. No mental state is identical to any physical state. This argument is entirely in line with common sense. Let's do a quick recap. The mind-body identity theory states that the mind is just a part of the physical body. Mental states are brain states. More abstract states, events, properties, and laws are just involved with how the mind emerges from the brain. There is an uncertainty of the mind. It can be free, unpredictable, and creative, and it's responsible for alternate possibilities. When doing my research on identity theory, I expected to find a more social approach. So now let's talk about social identity theory. This is becoming part of different groups, how membership of those groups helps construct our identities. People have a tendency to categorize themselves into one or more in-groups, building a part of their identity based on the membership of that group and enforcing boundaries with other groups. Social categorization is dividing the social world into different categories of people based on social identity. People are motivated to obtain positive social identity through positive intergroup social comparisons. A positive social identity serves basic needs for certainty, self-esteem, and meaning. Henry Teifel's greatest contribution to psychology was the social identity theory. He proposed that the groups which people belonged to were an important source of pride and self-esteem. These groups give a sense of social identity, which means a sense of belonging into the social world. He proposed that stereotyping is based on a normal cognitive process, the tendency to group things together. So the differences between groups and the similarities of things in the same group. In 1979, Tafel and Turner proposed that there are three mental processes involved in evaluating others as us or them. Social categorization, social identification, and social comparison. Social identity is the person's sense of who they are based on their group memberships. But I think we can also have a sense of identity without others' involvement. This is why I said earlier in the episode that service to others is great and it can be very rewarding, but we can't lose track of ourselves. Social identity theory bases your identity upon other interactions. But I say that your identity comes from within and who you believe you are, not from other people's perspective of you. 
Well, that is going to conclude this week's episode on identity theory. We went over the mind-brain identity theory as well as my favorite social identity theory. Oh, and there is now a Solar Cavern Instagram. Make sure to follow us at Solar Cavern. And we also have an email. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or, you know, if you have a suggestion for a topic that you want to hear about, email us at solarcavernpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This has been The Solar Cavern. Solar Cavern.